is he is used, the reason he's able to use to bring change is this is the verse when I was praying about who he is. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is, um, but we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as the spirit of the Lord. And ultimately you can try to combat an issue by looking at the issue and by addressing the issue. Um, but that he takes it from a whole different plane. He is someone that ultimately beholds the beauty of the Lord and the glory of the Lord, and his life is used Amen. to reflect Amen. the glory of the Lord, and that's why there's transformation power that comes through the words that he speaks, because they're not carnal and earthly, but they come from heavenly come places. You are such a gift, yeah. Jonathan, and Guys, we so appreciate you let's coming. Let's welcome Jonathan Tremaine Thomas to the stage. Listen, most likely you're going to see a lot of him around here these days, so... Be accustomed to his face and his voice. Jonathan, thank you so much for being with us. Wow. Thank you. I'm just, I'm so humbled to be here. and um, So provoked by this community. Um, as much as it's been a joy to be able to serve and share, I've been deeply impacted by the people that I've met. And, um, what amazing leaders, Bethany and Daryl. Can we just praise God for them? Wow. You have such a gift. I mean, this, this type of leadership is rare in the earth. No, I'm serious. I'm not just saying that to have some sense of false honor. This is rare. And the caliber of people that I'm seeing around you is just astounding to me. And even this church, as I'm looking around and I see uh, people from, from the nations, I'm seeing a mix. I've been, I've been all over this country in all types of churches of all sizes and shapes. And what you have in this room right now, you don't even have all the black people over here and all the white people over here and all the Asians right there and the Latinos sitting together. You're all together. I'm telling you, this is rare. <laughs> You see, there are cultures, there are churches that are multicultural and multi-ethnic. And then there are churches that are multi-ethnic, but they're monocultural. But what I'm seeing today is what 2 Peter 1 says, we are living stones, a spiritual house being built together to become the habitation of the Lord. And I feel God inhabiting our space this morning. There's a unique anointing that comes when there's unity. But God didn't just come for unity. Jesus didn't come to establish some kind of humanistic, kind of uh, fleshly unity where, you know, we, we, we're friends and we're, we're neighbors and we can tolerate one another, but we don't love one another. He came to bring oneness. Everybody say oneness. One new man is what Ephesians 2 says. And so I'm seeing a fellowship of the new man this morning, and I'm encouraged. I'm just going to pray and ask the Lord, God of glory, sovereign of the nations, the glory and the lifter of our heads, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. And I'm asking in these brief moments that we have that you would cause the foolishness of preaching through the weakness and the absurdity that man might articulate the excellencies of your glory.
Father, would you lay hold of your servant right now? Would you loose a spirit of wisdom and revelation? God, would you bring us into the mystery of beauty, God, this morning? God, take us on a journey into your heart, Lord, I'm asking. Not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. Take us up this morning, God. Lord, loose the realm of angels. God, loose the realm of reality, of beauty, of glory, of majesty. Deliver us from ourselves. Bring us into glory, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to be, I'm going to jump right in. I I can be uh, funny and kind of ease my way in, tell a lot of stories, get you to like me, but we only have a little bit of time. I got a plane to catch. (laughs) So I'm just going to dive right in and ask you to, to journey with me. This year marks the 400th year since the first slave ship arrived on the shores of what is now Jamestown, Virginia. 1619, a slave ship arrived carrying humans as merchandise. Just about a month ago, I acquired these. These are verified to be from the 1600s and may very well have been on that ship. Shackles that were on the legs of that human cargo. What's interesting is the times have changed, but the shackles remain. In Habakkuk 2, 12, it says, Woe to him who builds a city with blood and founds a town with injustice. A woe is the opposite of a blessing. A woe is a curse. So in the midst of blessing, there is a guarantee, just as in Psalm 133, when when brethren dwell together in unity, it's like oil pouring down Aaron's beard. There's a commanded blessing in a space like this. You all are experiencing certain blessings because you have... Uh, purposed and determined in your heart to rally around the worth and the beauty of Jesus. But in the same way, there's a guarantee, a guaranteed curse upon cities, towns, and nations that are built upon injustice. And whether that curse manifests within the generation of the injustice or several generations later, what we can be sure of today, that if you are in the soil of America, we're not the only nation with the curse and the woe because of injustice, but as a nation that was simultaneously built with an ideal towards godliness, kind of like King David, who said, Lord, I will build you a house. It was in his heart to establish a place for the Lord, a dwelling place, but he had blood on his hands, and God says, you won't build it, but your sons and daughters will. He still experienced the the judgment and the consequence of the injustice that was on his hands. So America had this ideal of godliness and holiness, but there was mixture, and today we are living in the judgments of God. 
We're living in the woes of God. Jeremiah 22 says, verse 13, Woe unto him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor, who is my neighbor, he makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not hire him or does not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling with cedar. Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord. The marker of the knowledge of God, knowing God, is that you actually do justice with righteousness. If you do justice apart from righteousness, you actually are not doing godly things. Well, what about intersectionality? I mean, you know, it's, it's the cause of everybody. I mean, you can believe what you can believe, but as long as you believe my cause and you believe it and you fight with me, we can stand together. No, according to this, it says you have to do justice with righteousness. In our culture right now, justice is the buzzword and righteousness is the byword. So people are eschewing righteousness for the sake of the cause of justice, and you're actually not accomplishing anything. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so there's a worldly justice, which is a false justice. It's humanistic, and it's driven by a, by a self-righteous sense of piety. We care about the poor. We care about the immigrant. We care about the refugee. We care about black folk. We care about the oppressed. We care about the LGBTQ. But you don't care about Jesus. And so all of your righteous works are filthy rags. Now, I know this is Boston. You guys are dignified and intellectual. But at the core, I'm from the South where we're wild, loud, and crazy, and I'm also kind of hood. I'm kind of gutter, and I live in Ferguson, which was gripped by three straight months of civil unrest, and then the next year was followed by six more months of civil unrest, where people are marching in the streets. People are ugly. They're in people's faces bringing confrontation. So pardon me if I'm a little loud for you this morning. Sorry, I got to take my coat off. I love you. I'm not angry with you. I really am not angry with you. I promise. I love you. But God wants us to get a revelation of righteousness. Some people call justice righteousness. No, it doesn't say that uh, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his justice and these things will be right, added to you. It says seek first the kingdom of God and his. Seek first the kingdom of God and his. I know y'all can get louder than that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his. And these things will be added unto you. Justice will be added when you get righteousness. 
What is righteousness? Righteousness is right thinking. It's, it's, it's standing in right alignment with God. And God is not so concerned with our transgressions. The transgression is the outward working. Righteousness is the inward working. So what happens when we see injustice is we go, look at what that law is. That's a bad law. We got to change the laws. Look at what's happening here in the prison system. We got to change the prison system. And that's what Joel 2 said was our outer garments. Because the Hebrew people, when they would lament, they would tear the the outside. Oh, no, something is wrong. We got to change everything. We got to change the system. We got to confront this and confront that. When Jesus came, says, rend your heart, not your garments. Tear your insides, not your outsides first. So a young black man gets shot and we take to the streets with signs, no justice, no peace. And God says, before you take to the streets and point the finger at white folk, point the finger at yourself. Before you see the African-American community mourning and lamenting and say, oh, there go those black people playing the race card again. Even maybe you're Asian or, or Hispanic or you're not from this nation and you see the unrest and you go, I just don't get it. Well, God says, get before me and say, God, help me to get it. Give me a spirit of revelation. God, give me a lament in my own heart. I'm not going to point my finger and judge them. I need your heart. I need your understanding. I want you to know, I know I'm yelling. (laughs) I'm not preaching at you. I came to New England as a messenger from heaven to stand before the powers and principalities over Boston and over New England. I'm preaching to demons in the heavens, and I know something is moving right now. I came here on assignment this morning. We came to do war in the heavenlies. I'm here to tell you something has to shift in the spirit. Something's got to shift. The atmosphere of our nation is toxic right now. The gas fumes of political propaganda, of ideological agendas have filled the airwaves. Right now, the air, even in this room, there are ideologies of hate and ideologies of bitterness circling and swirling around us. And God says, I am looking for an ecclesia that will clear the air. So I believe God brought me to the hilltop. In Martin Luther King's last address, he says, I've been to the top of the hill. I've been to the mountain and I've peered over on the other side. As he says, I may not get there with you, but we will make it to the promised land. So I'm standing on that same mountain this morning at Hilltop Church. I believe this is a mountain of the Lord in a city that is the mountain of, of, of intellectualism in one of the, the, the high mountains in the earth. And God says, on the hill, I will raise up a people who have divine understanding of justice and righteousness. In Hebrews 11... We see this great hall of fame. We see the cloud of witnesses who have gone before us to prepare a glorious future for generations to come. And by faith, they endured so many things and did not see it with their own eyes. I don't know the man or the woman or the many men and women who were brought to 
various shores around the world in these very chains right here. But I do know that at some point by faith, the spirit of the living God broke in to the, to the, to the debauchery, to the, to the indignity and the degradation of that situation. And the spirit of the living God said, I am Jesus, the great emancipator. I too was enslaved. I was a servant to all. Something happened and a faith began to spring up in the African diaspora. A faith in a God who is just and a God who is holy and a God who will bring us across the river to the other side. And Hebrews 11 says, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. Somebody say inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he lived as an alien. Somebody say alien. In the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham, by faith, went on a journey in a foreign land, living as an alien, living as an immigrant, living as a sojourner just passing through. The whole time, no matter what he and Sarah endured, he says, I'm looking for a city with foundations. My eyes are fixed on the coming city. Right now, it's a desert waste, but there is a city coming, and I'm looking for it. What was this city? Revelation 21, 10 through 14. Revelation 21, 10 10 through 14, it says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. I could camp out right there and we just stay on that phrase for the rest of the morning. He carried me away in the spirit. What does it mean for us to be a people who live in the spirit? How many, how much of your day do you spend in the spirit? How, how much time do you spend trying to comprehend what's going on in this world and navigate all the political issues and social issues in your flesh rather than in the spirit? See, it was in the spirit that he got carried away to the high place. But he says, in the spirit, he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper it had a great and high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and names were written on them which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel there were three gates on the east and three gates on the north and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. And on all of them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now this is very interesting because God has created humanity to be tribal. 
you have the 12 tribes of Israel, but in natural wiring, we are a tribal people. In fact, I spent nine years in the city of Indianapolis. And for many of my friends, it is blasphemy that I am here in Boston speaking to you today because this is the home of a tribe called the Patriots. And Indianapolis is the home of a tribe called the Colts. And the Patriots are the arch enemies of the Colts. In Indianapolis, you can't enter the city without a police officer saying, let me see your allegiance card. Are you a Colts fan or a Patriots fan? If you're a Patriots fan, you cannot enter the city. Okay, that's not true. <laughs> but the reason why professional sports is so successful is because humans are tribal. So if our allegiance isn't to our ethnicities, then it's to a political party. And if it's not to a political party, it's to an athletics team. We have to find a tribe to identify with. Interestingly enough, Daryl's sweatshirt says tribe. <laughs> you know it's God when the pastor is wearing a shirt that says it. We are a tribal people, but God made us that way. And it's interesting, interestingly enough, the foundation of the city for which Abraham was looking for is built upon the tribes. But not just the tribes for themselves, the, the 12 tribes of, of Israel. It's built upon the 12 apostles to the tribes, those who would actually take them out of humanity as their primary identity and bring them into the revelation of Christ through the preaching of the gospel. He takes them from just being a, a humanistic kind of a, an Adamic fleshly tribe into a, a holy priesthood and a family through Jesus. And it says, I saw 12 stones. The brilliance was like a very costly stone. So in Isaiah 28, verse 16, Isaiah 28, 16, it says, Thus says the Lord God, behold, everybody say behold. behold. That means look, see it. I am laying a, a stone in Zion. A tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. And he who believes in it will not be disturbed. And I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the level. Then hail will sweep away the refuge of lies. In other words, a storm will come and it will take away the lies that you've hidden behind and the lies that you've believed and the waters will overflow the secret place. Your covenant with death will be canceled. Your pact with Sheol will not stand. And it goes on and talks about the overwhelming scourge that passes through. Trouble will come to deliver you from the lies and the scourge and the pain, and it's going to unearth things when waters overflow. I'm a survivor, a survivor of, uh, of a hurricane in North Carolina, and I was undone by the power of the floodwaters. It's unbelievable how much power waters have, unearthing everything. When all the, the water levels uh, uh, rescinded, 
There were, sorry, there were dead cows in the tops of trees. Graveyards that had been unearthed and you'd find caskets all over town in random places. I'm going, wow. He says, there's a storm coming that will sweep away the lies. And it will it will uncover the secret places of your heart. I believe that the storm of God's righteousness and justice is blowing in America and it's uncovering the heart condition of the whole nation. In every arena, in every place. And God says, I'm going to make justice the measure and righteousness the, the plum. But this passage says, I lay a stone in Zion, a costly cornerstone. That cornerstone is Jesus himself. So God lays the stone, and then he says, I'm building a spiritual house on the cornerstone. The corner shows you what you build upon and build around. And he says, I'm building living stones, people from every tribe and tongue, to build me a dwelling place, to build me a house. And he says, the, the, the level... <laughs> the way you know that you're, you're building uh, and growing, that this thing is actually building correctly, is the level of justice that this house does. Are you with me this morning? The level of justice is the measure of maturity. Now, I don't know if they do it uh, up here in the north, but in the south, in people's houses, uh, like next to the fridge or something, like on a door sill or a do door post, they will, as you're growing up as a kid, they'll mark the height of the kid. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like six years old and you're right here. By the time I was 12, I was like, here. I'm shorter than I was when I was 12. But on the door post, it measures your growth. You go to grandmom and them's house, come here, son, let me, let me, let me mark you. Oh, you're getting so big now. Oh, you got fat too. I mean, don't you know that elderly people have a license to say whatever they want to say? No filter. Ooh, boy, what you been eating? Oh, my goodness. But here's the point. So, right, so justice, the measure of godliness in a nation is measured by the measure of justice that a nation does. And he says righteousness will be the plumb. Now, a plumb line is what builders use. You can build a wall and it looks straight until you put the plumb up against it and the level is off. And you're like, oh no, this wall is crooked. It's just like white looks white until you put off-white next to it. They're both white, but one of them's off. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Oh, that's white. No, nah, this is white. Well, let's put it. Uh, oh, you're right, bro. That's white. <laughs> so the level, it says righteousness will be the plumb line. So if a nation is built upon injustice, if a house is built upon injustice, if a city is built upon injustice, it's not just, it's not just, well, you need to do more justice. No, you need righteousness because you're crooked and righteousness will get you into alignment where you can build straight. But God says, you won't know that it's crooked until I send a storm to uncover the wickedness. So what's been happening in our nation for years and years, and particularly the last five years, is the storms of heaven coming to get the house straight. This is crazy. Can you believe the governor of Virginia was seen in blackface? Can you believe what Trump said? Can you believe blah, 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 blah? I can believe it. 
Because God says, my house will be a house of prayer for every people. My house, my house. God is less concerned with what's going on in the culture, and he's deeply invested in what's going on in this house. In this house, are you doing justice? Are you a racist? Are you embittered? Are you angry? Are you apathetic? Are you indifferent? Stop trying to change the world. Let's change you. In Isaiah 9, I want to talk about this glorious child, this beautiful man, Jesus. In Isaiah 9, Isaiah, I believe the prophet Isaiah saw the times we're in and the times we're headed for probably more clearly than anyone else in the Bible. He was the first to really intricately describe the man Jesus. Thousands of years before he would step on the scene, Isaiah seeing the man clearly. He saw the child and the man and the king. And in Isaiah chapter 9, he says, for, for to us a child will be born, and a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Well, God, we, need, we don't know what's going on. We're hurt. We're angry. We're embittered. We have all these different things. Guess what? He's a counselor. You need a therapist? I know one. He's wonderful. Well, I just need somebody to come and deliver us. We need a Messiah. We need somebody to, to set wrong things right. We need him to make things straight. Well, guess what? He's mighty. He has a strong arm. <laughs> Well, you know, the Bible says true and undefiled, pure and undefiled religion is loving the widow and the orphan. And, you know, I'm fatherless. We got to break the cycles of poverty and fatherlessness and blah, 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 blah. He's a wonderful father. He's eternally father. Well, I just, I, you know, I just can't. I'm so upset right now. I can't believe I can't even come to church and worship with people who voted for Trump. No, that's a real statement. I lost about 30 students who said they could not come to our church. And we preach on this stuff. Couldn't come to my church. They said, well, I just know that there's people in there who voted for Trump, and that's just complicit bias, and blah, 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 and I just can't do it. Well, you know what? He's the prince of peace. He wants to deliver us from our idolatry and our bitterness our anger and our rage and our nationalism. The idolatry of nationalism. I said this last night, but I'll say it again. I've never seen one thing in the Bible that says pledge an allegiance to a country on the earth. It says, give me your heart. I want all of you. We pledge allegiance to God and God alone. That's it. So all these conversations about flags and all this kind of stuff, it's actually God dealing with idolatry in our hearts. Some folks are straight up manifesting demons when you start talking about it. I love America. I'm not anti-America. I did ROTC in college, U.S. Army. Who what? But here's the point. 
This earth is not my home. I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. My king and my president's foundation is righteousness and justice. Obama can't deliver me. Trump can't deliver me. Then Hillary can't do it. I'm here to tell you, we got to fix our eyes on our heavenly home. And so in Isaiah 42, y'all still with me this morning? In Isaiah 42, God says this. You know, we're looking for justice-minded deliverers. In America, we've waited 60 years for another Dr. King, and God says, I gave you a king, not Dr. King. I'm not trying to raise up another king, another Rosa Parks, another Harriet Tubman. He says, I've raised up a man, Jesus, and he created a family of kings and priests. We're all kings and priests. So he says, behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Whenever you see nations in the Bible, it actually means ethnos, not just like America, you know, Syria. No, he's saying, I will bring justice to the people groups of the earth. Jesus is going to bring justice. Jesus is justice. This is critical and central to the revelation of the coming Christ because he came the first time meek and humble as a lamb. He came in the midst of, of Roman zealot culture. The, 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 the Jews were under Caesar. Folks, we have no idea what, it lives like, what it's like to live under Caesar. Now, maybe some of you have more of an idea because you may have moved here uh, from communist countries where there are dictators in rule, in the, in the seat of power, whether it's in Africa or in certain parts of Asia. But the reality is in America, we've never known what it's like to live under a dictator. The Jews were living under Roman oppression. Caesar carried himself as the Christ. He was a God in the flesh in his own eyes. Brutality was exacted upon the Jewish people, and they were desperate for a political Messiah, a religious Messiah. They thought Jesus was coming back or coming in for the first time as a warlord. They were looking for him to roll people's heads. Wait till the Messiah comes. Oh, he's going to get it straight. They're sharpening their knives. And the zealot culture had begun to embrace this radical terrorist-like uh, uh, philosophy of revolution, and they began going through the streets of Jerusalem uh, uh, shanking people in the markets, the zealots. We're going to take this thing by force. And Jesus comes, and he says, the first revolution that I'm bringing is a revolution of, of righteousness. He says, I'm coming back the second time to bring justice. So righteousness was the heart level. That's why the Pharisees hated him, because he stands in the temple, and they're like, you're hanging out with a prostitute. He says, yeah, well, you're lusting after her. You're not mad because I'm hanging with her. You're mad because you're not hanging with her because you want to get with her. That's what Jesus said. He saw the heart, and he took the revolution to the heart level. And we're still in that revolution. But he says, now you can partner with me from internal transformation. I will partner with you to bring external transformation. But it's always the internals first and then the externals. 
So then what happens is we're speeding towards a day where actually the Jesus that the Jews were looking for the first time, he comes back in the form they were expecting him in. In Revelation 19, it says, in righteousness, he judges and makes war. He has a white robe on, and it's dipped in blood, and it's the heads of kings of nations who've oppressed the people of God. He's coming back. I'm telling you, I was on the streets of Ferguson, and a a Muslim man said to me, he goes, what has white Jesus done for me? White Jesus ain't done nothing for me. And you know what I said to that guy when when we had a chance to really have a conversation? I said, here's the thing. The only thing white about Jesus that I've seen in the Bible is that he has hair that's white like wool. I said, the Jesus of the Bible, he has eyes like a flame of fire. He has a double edged sword coming out of his mouth. He has feet like bronze. You don't know the Jesus that I'm talking about. Be careful what you say about white Jesus because this white Jesus is setting wrong things right in the nations and you don't want to meet him in that condition. (laughs) Folks, we are not serving some weak, indifferent, lily-livered Jesus. We are serving the king of heaven and the king of the earth. People are turning from the faith Millennials are turning from the faith from the faith in record levels because the church has had no revelation of Jesus the man of justice. He's coming back as a bridegroom, as a king and as a judge and I guess I guarantee you every ruler who has any authority in this land that authority came from God. Actually every ruler in the nations all authority comes from God. So don't you believe it? You can't don't don't get caught up in a debate. Well, did God put Trump in the office? Yes, God put Trump in the office. Did God put Hitler in office? Yes. Well, I can't serve a God who would do something like that. No, you have no idea how he's going to redeem. Jesus is the one who comes and he says, I will reconcile all things. Somebody say all things. All things are going to be reconciled in Christ, in his body, in him, in the fullness of times. All things are going to make sense. That's why my great-grandmama and them, they used to sing a song that says, we will understand it better by and by. It goes, by and by, oh, when the morning comes, all the saints of God together as one, we will tell the story of how we overcome, and we'll understand it better by and by. Right now, somewhere at a black church across town, they're singing that song. I'm telling you. There's no way there's a black church service where that song does not get sung. (laughs) Folks, those Negro spirituals had a revelation of the one who was coming. That gave them hope in the midst of the crisis. Isaiah 42 tells us that he's going to bring justice to the nations. In verse 2, it says, he will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. We have to wrestle with that. Would Jesus protest in the street? I'll let y'all think on that one. (laughs) According to Isaiah 42, he's not going to, protest is not how he's going to accomplish justice. Verse 3, it says, a bruised reed he will not break, 
and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish, but he will faithfully bring forth justice. What does a bruised reed not being broken mean? The revelation came to me is that when people are wounded, they respond out of their wounding. And so sometimes when wounded people respond, they wound others in their response. And so because you get wounded by the response of the wounded people, you want to wound them and break them. Man, what y'all, what y'all complaining about? Slavery ended 150 years ago. I mean, the civil rights movement, we, we elected a black president. Why are we still having this conversation? You want to break off the conversation, and Jesus says, I'm not going to break the conversation. I'm not going to further bruise and wound them. I'm going to listen to them. And then a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. Who is the light of the world? The church is the light of the world. And even if our light is burning dimly on this issue, well, I can't go to that church because they don't talk about justice issues. I can't get with with the way they, they do justice or the way they think. They're so politically right. They're so politically left. And it's, it's our lamp is dim, but it says he's not going to extinguish the lamp. In other words, he's patient. He's kind. He's gentle. He's, he's, he's going to wait until we get it. He's going to work with us. He's not going to just breeze in with such wind and fire that it actually kills the church, that it extinguishes our dimly burning lamp. Do I have one witness? Are y'all falling asleep? If you are falling asleep, I only got like five minutes left, so just stay with me. But maybe you need to fall asleep because God might give you a dream. Okay. <clears throat> he won't be disheartened or crushed until he's established justice in the earth. And the coastlands or the nations will wait expectantly for his law. There is a law that will come forth out of Jerusalem. Isaiah 2 says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord will be established as chief among the hills. And he says, all nations will stream to it and say, come, let us go to the Lord, up to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. I'm here to tell you, Hilltop Church needs a bigger building because in the last days, there's going to be more crisis in the land, and the only people that have understood standing and an answer are the people who live at the top of the hill, the mountain of the Lord. And so people are going to stream into these doors and go, I can't get understanding on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, Al Jazeera, BBC, so I better go to church. I'll go to Hilltop because they know what God is doing. This is a prophetic promise. It's in the word that in the last days, the place of wisdom and the place to be taught, even the law will be God's house. That's why we need some lawyers. Any lawyers in here? Okay. No lawyers. Well, they won't be getting taught civil law in this place. No, just kidding. (laughs) Finally, I want to leave you with Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is critical to our times and how we navigate this moment in history. In Isaiah 58, the prophet Isaiah, I believe, is talking to our generation. You know, he's talking throughout every generation and many generations. But this specifically applies to the the churches, the, the spiritual community, the believers that have a value for prayer in their life. In Isaiah 58, verse 2, he says, they seek me day by day. Every day, every morning and every night, you have a prayer meeting. 
and they delight to know my ways. And worship, oh, we want to know you. We love you. You go to the conferences. You got the Bethel music. You got Jesus culture. You got William McDowell. You got Tasha Leonard Cobbs, Cobbs Leonard. I don't know how it goes. I mean, you got all the music. You got all the stuff. And he says, they delight to know my, na- my ways. They seek me as a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the law or the ordinance of their God. And they ask me for just decisions. You fast and pray for the ending of abortion. You fast and pray for, uh, uh, for this and for that. You ask me for just decisions and you delight to be near me. This is the intercessors. But then what you ask for doesn't happen. And he says, Then you say, why have we fasted and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? He says this, it's because on the day of your fast, you do what you want to do and you drive everybody around you to fast and pray hard. You drive all your workers, but you fast for contention and strife to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast like this which I chose a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast even an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast which I chose? Not a fast to make you more pious and more humble and say, hey, I fasted? No, he says it's to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, to break the shackles, to break Break every yoke. That's the Isaiah 58 fast. And he says, is it not to divide your bread with the poor and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and to not hide yourself from your own flesh? The first part of Isaiah 58's fast to loose the bonds of wickedness and the yoke and oppression is to loose it within you. God wants to transform you in the fast. Then you'll be set free to go help the oppressed and set them free. So it's fasting with and righteousness with works of justice. But this is the key part right here. He says, then your light will break out like the dawn. Your recovery will, be, will, will speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you and the glory of God will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. Here's the the big if in verse 9. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness. God wants to set a mature guard around our minds and our mouths. God wants us to restrain ourselves from pointing the finger and speaking with wickedness. When you have the backroom conversations, when you sit in here and you worship and somebody up here on the mic prays something that's kind of politically right or politically left and you don't agree with it, you know what? What happens is it happens and something kind of stings you on the inside, but rather than going to them and sitting down and say, you know what? That really rubbed me the wrong way. Can, I help? Can you help me understand your perspective? Um, let's pray together first and have a, 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 an intense conversation You might even get offended with them for a moment, but then you move past the offense and you say, you know, I love you. I love you too. Let's walk together. You don't have to believe how I believe or see from my perspective, but I want you to know that I love you and we're going to pursue Jesus together. 
Instead of that happening, what happens is we get around with all the people who think like we think and will confirm our biases or confirm our position, and then we talk about them. Yeah, you know those white people at Hilltop, they act like they love us. Oh, well, you know how white people are. Oh, well, you know, you know those black people, man, they just, you know, I love, I love Daryl, but he just, he just don't get it. Well, you know, those conservatives, they are just so, I mean, the whiteness of that place. Maybe they'll see themselves. And God is saying, you just rendered all your 40 days of fasting completely ineffective. You need to start back from ground one because you're in bondage. He's looking for people at Hilltop who will say, deliver me, Lord, from me. Deliver me from me. Every single one of us, no matter what culture you're from, what nation you're from, you are carrying baggage from the fall of humanity. It's affecting your pathologies. It's affecting the way you see and process the world around you. It affects the way you engage your neighbors. And I know you guys are in the hallways of, of academia and you're, you're discussing all, you're getting into the weeds on all the technicalities of these things. But at the end of the day, it's something in your spirit that will shift what needs to be shifted in our nations and in the nations of the earth. So would you stand with me this morning? I just want to ask for God to loose the grace of Isaiah 58 over this, over this community. The promise is that beyond, once the yoke is removed from our midst, it says you will, be, you will become the restorers of streets with dwellings. It says you will repair the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations. I'm telling you, the age-old foundations are righteousness with justice. Maybe you're not called. Maybe you're just here training for a season in America. and God's giving you nations to go back to, war-torn countries that are currently in great chaos. There are systems of injustice, structures of false kings and false kingdoms that God is saying, I want to send you back into that nation as the repairer of the breach to raise up the foundations of, of righteousness and justice. Some of you, that, that foundation has never been laid in your nation, in your people group, in your community, in your industry. And God this morning is saying, I want to loose Isaiah 58 grace upon your life. The ministry of reconciliation. Father, you said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Lord, would you loose a supernatural peacemaking grace on this company right now? Father, right now, anything that you desire to deal with in our hearts, any bitterness, God, any apathy, God, any fear, Holy Spirit, I'm asking, would you come and lay your hand? Lay your hand on a people right now. For some in this room, you're like, well, that was a good message, but I really don't care. Father, I'm asking, would you put a groan in our hearts to feel what you feel, to carry the very heart of heaven for the beauty of God in the nations of the earth? 
Some of you have a missional calling on your life. And I just feel even now, there's, there's God that wants to release assignments on you right now. And it's not just a missionary that raises funds. It's actually God's giving you blueprints for businesses and industry, for the transformation of kingdoms, for nations. Some of you will serve heads of state or maybe even become heads of state. Right now, I'm asking for that Isaiah 9 government that is upon the shoulders of Jesus to begin to rest on a governmental people. Right now, some of you are going to get a tingling sensation on the ends of your fingertips. If that's you, put both of your hands up in the air. Right now, God is anointing hands, the favor of the Lord and the beauty of the Lord to establish the work of your hands. You will have healing hands in Jesus' name. Even now, businesses that heal, industries that heal, messages that heal, ministries that heal, Reformation. Lord, I'm asking from the hill, you said that you would teach us your ways. God, I'm asking for the superior wisdom of heaven, the knowledge of God. Lord, we don't discredit the activist community. Some of you are activists, but the activism has actually made you more depressed than more joyful. And the thing is that activism that is fueled by heaven actually produces the fruits of righteousness in your own life and in the lives of people around you. If you're being socially active and woke and all these different things, but you don't find yourself more loving and more joyful and more peaceful and more gentle and having more self-control, then you're actually coming under bondage because it's not fueled by love. And so right now, Some of you who have been so plagued that you've been filled with anxiety, your peace has been taken, you're obsessed with justice and racial conversations and various human trafficking and all these issues, and it's actually overpowering your love and your obsession for God. Right now, I declare liberty over you in Jesus' name. Father, I'm praying right now for the fruits of righteousness. God, I'm asking right now for the peace of heaven to come, for the balance of justice with righteousness. God, I'm asking right now for strategies from heaven, strategies from heaven for every raised hand. Every person in this room, give them the grace to love like you love. And Lord, would you open the realm of beauty? Lord, loose dreams and visions all over this room. Take us up into the spirit. Let us see the beauty of Jesus. Let us see the beauty of Jesus in our neighbor. Let us become instruments instruments for that beauty in our city, on the campus, in the workplace, in Jesus' name. I even just feel that there's a song of worship. I don't know if you guys have a music label and Everybody's trying to be Bethel. I'm not talking about that. But I just believe that there are songs of the Lamb and of the throne that are going to come out of this house. As you press into this, I just feel the Lord. As you press into this, I see the song of the tribes of the, of the earth and of the tribes of heaven. There's like a synergy between the Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 says, you've come 
to Mount Zion, Zion, not Sinai, not the, the place of judgment, but the mountain that's where there's myriads of angels, where all the saints, I just see synergy of the ages coming to hilltop, and I see a Revelation 7 anointing, the beauty of the Lord. I see songs in Zulu and Mandarin and Swahili. I see even now, I see uh, uh, various expressions in tribes. You haven't even asked for this. You haven't labored for this, but yet God says this is a place that can be trusted. And, and the, the 1040 window, those 70,000 students, even now I'm asking God for an increased grace, God, and an increased favor on this house, God, to reach those ones and that the songs of the Lamb would come forth and teaching on John 17 realities, even the awakening well of New England, the second great awakening. God, we ask, God, that it would open up in this house, open up in this place. God, out of Berkeley School of Music, Lord, there would become a worship movement, God, we ask right now, a worship movement that touches the ends of the earth, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Even out of Harvard, MIT, BU, God, we're asking, we're asking for the superior wisdom of heaven to overwhelm and overtake every classroom, every project, every occupation rest, in, rested, represented in this room. Father, we submit it to you because you said, if we submit our plans to you, God, you are faithful. You're faithful. We surrender them to you now in Jesus' name. And thank you, Father. Can we give God a shout of praise in this place? I'm talking of praise. Is he worthy? You're worthy, God. We love you. We bless you. What a treat, huh? Man, I don't know. I just, I'm speechless. And maybe that's good. I don't know. Jonathan, you don't. just a simple Facebook message has turned into so much of a of a heavenly thing of a and I just want to thank you I want to thank you for pouring into our community pouring into the students here but most of all pouring into me I mean this is you're probably like what are you talking about but <laughs> I am, I'm sorry I have another word I just can we stretch out our hands towards them right now? God, I prophesy, God, and I declare the opening of the womb of Hilltop Church right now. God, I thank you for the opening of the womb. Lord, loose uh, an 818, behold, here am I, and the children the Lord have given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel. God, I'm asking now for that blessing of Isaiah 818 and Deuteronomy 622. Behold, I have brought you out in order to bring you in to the land that I have promised to your forefathers. God says there is land that was promised to Hebrews 11 forefathers, even here in Boston. And now God says, I am going to do it. I'm going to give you the inheritance that 
that they did not receive. It was meant for you, Daryl and Bethany. You have an inheritance and you have a legacy for posterity's sake. I see the spirit of adoption coming on you in a greater measure. I see the spirit of adoption coming on your family personally. I see the spirit of adoption coming on Hilltop Church right now. You will have black and white sons and daughters, Asian sons and daughters, Latino sons and daughters, Mongolian sons and daughters, African sons and daughters. God says, ask and I will give you the nations. You've asked for a small thing, but I have something much greater in my heart. You will disciple nations, says the Lord. And the sign will be the opening of the womb. There's even going to be more pregnancies in this house. But there will also be more adoptions. This house will be marked more by adoption than you will by pregnancy. You will be marked more by adoption than you will by pregnancy. I feel the Lord right now. He says, I am going to bring reformation. I even see God raising up deliverers in the foster care system. Reformers even now. The times and the seasons will shift. In the name of Jesus, we declare Isaiah 8.18. Signs and wonders, sons and daughters in this place. church we're in a moment right now we're in a moment right now we don't want to waste come on this word wasn't just for me and Bethany this word was for our church let's engage we're in a moment don't waste the moment engage with the Lord pray thank you God thank you Lord for moments like this God oh God touch us Come on, this may be new to you, but I, I can't control. I'm just overwhelmed with the goodness of God. I'm overwhelmed with the Spirit touching my heart right now. Just breathing upon that prophetic word. Father, let it go deep into us. Those who it's resonating with right now, let it go deep into us, God. Oh, heavenly. Heavenly moments. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. What a thing. What a thing of God's glory. Thank you, God. 
Can we just begin to give thanks for the things that the Lord's doing in our hearts? Just give thanks to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for touching us. Thank you for ministering to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, this may seem inappropriate, but I, I actually believe it's very appropriate. And um, what I'd like to do, I would like to take up an offering for Jonathan. I mean, you just, you, you can't hear something like that. You can't be touched like this and not respond in a way. And I think a fitting and appropriate way to respond this morning is to bless who God has brought into this house this morning, this weekend. And so I imagine if you're feeling the things that I'm feeling this morning, this seems very appropriate. This seems like a very fitting response. And so I'm gonna have Amy Eifler come up and she's gonna lead us through some practicals of how we can bless Jonathan. Man, he, he has not just blessed us this morning, but he has been pouring into uh, the college campus is here all weekend. Some of you were part of that. Some of you didn't. You missed an extraordinary time if you weren't. But also, I just want to say this. This is the beginning of a very beautiful relationship with Jonathan Tremaine. This will not be his last time here. Matter of fact, I look forward to bringing him to church quite frequently, as much as I can without being too annoying. But there's also some things that he has confided in me that things that the Lord has been doing in his heart regarding our church and our community where I won't even get into it. But I just want to say this is not our first time. We're, we're in this together where we feel as though Jonathan will be an ongoing voice into this community. And so, man, I want his first time leaving here. I want to, I want to bless him. I want to pour into what he's doing. That's, that's a fitting response for me. So Amy Eifler, if you could come, lead us through some of those practicals, and we will just end in celebration. Awesome. I think all the ushers have gone back and reported to Allegra, so if you guys can get um, fresh offering cards and pens if you don't already have them. Um, but And um, Grace, if you can bring up the special offering slide. So um, you can give online, you guys know this, but just make sure you select special offering so we know that it's designated to Jonathan and not to our general tithe. Um, right now, you can, if you've already set up an account, you can text to 84321. Just make sure you say, you know, 25, for example, 25 special hyphen offering. Um, if you have not texted before, it will prompt you to set up an account. So just make sure you see that all the way through. Don't just set it up and then not create the account. And then um, cash and check, you can do it that way with the envelopes. Ushers, just wave them out if anyone needs one. There's probably a couple envelopes around you guys right now, so you can just grab one. Just write special offering on the check. Check's made out to Hilltop Church.
sing to our God. To a God we morning we ask Lord that in these final moments that we have together that your Holy Spirit would seal the work in which you have started today Father in us Lord would you see it to its completion we trust you in that Lord that as we enter into our Mondays and Tuesdays Lord that the same Holy Spirit that met us here this morning is the Holy Spirit that can meet us tomorrow and the next. And so, Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would just bless this community with the nearness of your presence, Jesus, in our lives, Lord. Give us moments like these in our bedrooms, in our offices, and our dorm rooms. God, give us moments of encounter all throughout the week, we pray. In your son's name, church, can you say amen? amen? Amen. Listen. Yeah, yeah, you can clap. You can clap. It's awesome. So good. So if we haven't scared you too much this morning, and you love this church, and maybe you're new, maybe you're here for the first or second time, and you want to get to know us a little better, we want to invite you to some things uh, this afternoon. Um, one is beyond Sunday. Um, if you go up uh, the stairs here as you leave up to the foyer, you go up the stairs and you take a left and you go all the way down this hall here, the last uh, door on your right-hand side, um, there's uh, some lovely people in there looking to connect with you and just give you kind of like three practical steps that you can take to being more intentional in your relationships here at Hilltop and maybe even plugging into the spiritual family. Or maybe this is your first time. Listen, we... Uh, I want to encourage you, if you want some more information, or if you want us to take your information to be able to plug you into this spiritual family, I uh, want to invite you over to the info center where we just want to get some information from you, but also give you a cool gift and just kind of bless you as you uh, leave today. So two ways that you can go from this moment, maybe into next Sunday, maybe into the next Sunday, maybe actually to the place of being part of this spiritual family. Uh, but beyond that, friends, we love you. Hey, listen, we do this every Sunday. You know, it's kind of thing we do, you know. Next Sunday, we'll be right here doing the same thing, preaching the same Jesus, worshiping the same God. We want to encourage you to plug into the Spirit family. We love you guys. Have a great, great Sunday afternoon. Amen. Be blessed.
Again, if you want to be part of Beyond Sunday, you just um, go out right to the foyer, go up any one of those staircases. You get to the top of the staircase, you can take a right, go through. There should be some lovely people there shaking your hand, welcoming you in. You go all the way down this hall here, and it's your last room on the right.